Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. It's such a privilege to be here with you guys. Um, uh, many of you know my name's Will Franco. I'm the new campus pastor that's going to be going out into the Streamwood area, hopefully at the beginning of the fall. And so we're really excited about that and what God is going to do. And so uh, this morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to be continuing our series that's entitled Losing Control. Losing Control. And the reason why we've named this series Losing Control is because it is only when we lose control that we actually start to gain control over the emotions that rule over us, right? It's only when we decide that we will lose control that we start to gain control over the emotions that tend to rule over us. Now, here, here's what, the thing. If you guys were here last week, Pastor Rob began by addressing the subject of worry. He did a wonderful job of unpacking worry and how it affects us. And this morning, we are going to be discussing the subject of discouragement. Discouragement. And then next week, we're going to look at anger. And the following week, we're going to conclude by looking at jealousy. Now, here's the thing. When I first found out that discouragement was what I was going to be preaching on, I laughed to myself. I, I chuckled to myself. I don't know if I chuckled, but I, I did, I, I laughed, I laughed, okay? And the reason why I laughed is because out of all the emotions that we will be addressing in this series, discouragement is the one that I most struggle with. Discouragement is the one that most affects me. As a matter of fact, when I found out that discouragement was what I was preaching on, I, I went home and I told my wife, I'm like, hey, guess what? I, I get a chance to preach at Wheaton Bible Church, and, I, and I'm so excited. And, and we're doing this series on emotions, and I'm like, let me give you the list of emotions. And I'm going to ask you as I go through, which one do you think I struggle with the most? Okay, which I don't think that was a good idea, but I did it anyways, okay? <laughs> so, so I asked my wife, I say, uh, uh, do you think I, I worry? She's like, well, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, you worry here and there, but I wouldn't describe you as a worrier. I don't know if that's something I would describe you as. I'm like, okay, what about anger? She's like, no, you're not really an angry person. You're not an angry type person. So I don't think anger describes you. I'm like, what about jealousy? She's like, well, maybe sometimes here and there you struggle with jealousy. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what about discouragement? And she starts laughing at me. <laughs> She's like, discouragement? Are you serious? She's like, tell me that's not what you're preaching on. And, I, and I'm like, no, it is. It's discouragement. She's like, that's like your thing. Like, you are Mr. Discouraged. She's like, you get discouraged all the time over nothing, right? Like, you preach a bad sermon, and you get into the car, and you're like, I'm never preaching again. I'm done. Like, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm done after this, right? Or I have a bad day at work, and I come home, and, and, and I get on monster.com to look for a job, right? Because I'm done. I'm like, I'm, this is it. This is it. I, I, my preaching and pastoring days are done. Never again. It's over right? She's like, I leave you home with the girls for like two hours, and when I come back, you think you're the worst father of all time, like, right? She's like, that's so funny that you're preaching on discouragement, because discouragement is your thing. That's what you're, like, that's what you struggle with the most. And then finally, after a while, I'm like, hey, 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 calm down, killer. Okay, let's, 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 let's pump the brakes. Uh, my question was, do I struggle with discouragement, not can you help me become discouraged, okay? <laughs> I get it. I get it. I struggle. Let it go already. It's, it's done, okay? It's just the reality of it. So it's, it's, there's no doubt in my mind that God in his sovereignty has allowed me to preach on discouragement because discouragement is the emotion that I most struggle with out of the four that we are looking at. It's the one that I most wrestle with. But here's the thing, though. If we are completely honest with ourselves, I am not the only person here who struggles with discouragement. Every person here, to one degree or another, struggles with discouragement. But the thing about discouragement is that it looks different depending on who you are. 
So for example, some of you here, you struggle with relational discouragement. Relational discouragement. So you're, you're single, and you were convinced that by this time of your life, you would be married. So you're relationally discouraged about that. Some of you, you're married, and you thought your marriage was going to be something else. Your expectations for marriage were something else, and now that your marriage hasn't hit those expectations, you're discouraged about that. Some of you, you've been married for a long time, and you finally have become an empty nester. And to you, the empty nester years were going to be the best years of your marriage, and they have ended up being the worst years of your marriage. And you're discouraged about that. Some of us have relational discouragement. Some of us, instead of relational discouragement, we struggle with circumstantial, situational discouragement. So, for example, you you thought you were going to be out of your parents' house by now, and yet you're still there. So you're discouraged by that. And trust me, they're discouraged by that too, okay? Like, they're more discouraged than you are, okay? Like, they're like, Let, let's speed it up, okay? So you're discouraged by that. Some of you, your, your situational discouragement is you, you're, you're not as far along in your career as you thought you'd be. Or you're, maybe you're not even in the career that you thought you were going to be at all. Some parents here, you're sitting here and your son or daughter is a prodigal. They're not walking with Jesus. And so you struggle with that discouragement. That's the situation that you're in that makes you discouraged. Every time you think about that, you are overwhelmed by discouragement. So there's relational discouragement. There's circumstantial discouragement. Some of us here, we are struggling with physical, physical discouragement. So you found out you were sick or you found out that your spouse is sick or that your child is sick. Or, or, or you, you look in the mirror and you hate what you see. You detest what you see. And so you actually go out of your way to discourage yourself so that you hurt yourself first so that no one can hurt you. If you're going to be discouraged, you might as well be the one that does it. It's the what you say to yourself. Or, or maybe you, you're married and you're, you physically you, 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 you're trying to have kids, but you can't have kids. My wife and I, we lost a baby two summers ago. It was the, the most discouraging, most difficult thing I've ever gone through. That's discouraging. So there's relational, there's circumstantial, there's, uh, there's uh, physical. And I think the, the, the last one is probably the worst one. It's spiritual discouragement. Some of us are just discouraged with God overall. We're discouraged with his plan for us. We're discouraged with what he's done and what he hasn't done up to this point in our lives. We're just, we're just discouraged with him. We're, we're done with him. We're discouraged about the fact that we're not doing more in ministry or we're discouraged about the fact that by this time in our life, we are not more, we're not more mature than what we thought we'd be. And we're just discouraged. And, and these examples that I'm giving you, they're big ones, right? Like I'm not even talking about the day-to-day discouragements that we go through just because life is life. Right? We, I'm not even talking about when you stub your toe or when, you know, uh, 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 you, you, you get cut off in traffic or like Rob brought up last week, you get a, a flat tire, right? Or when you potty train, right? Like potty training, I'm the word potty training right now. Potty training is the most discouraging thing on planet Earth, okay? <laughs> like I'm just bribing my daughter now. Like I'm like, I'll, I'll buy you a house. Like just please go to the bathroom. I beg you, Right? So the, the examples I'm giving are these big ones. I'm not even talking about the day-to-day things that are going to discourage us as we go. And so what we see is that discouragement is actually much more common, much more pervasive than a lot of us have had thought. 
It's much more common and much more pervasive than a lot of us had originally thought. And so the question that we have to answer this morning, it's not so much do we struggle with discouragement, because it's pretty obvious that we all do, amen? The better question that we have to answer is what can we do about the discouragement that we struggle with? What can be done about the discouragement that we struggle with? And so the passage that we're going to be looking at, that the, the answer to that question is found in the passage that we're going to be looking at. And this morning we are going to be in Psalm 42 and 43. Psalm 42 and 43 in general, but we're going to be camping out in Psalm 43 verse 5 in particular. Psalm 43 verse 5. So Psalm 42 and 43 in general, but Psalm 43 verse 5 in particular. Now, as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of background about of Psalm 42 and 43, just so you know exactly what's going on. One of the things that's very interesting about Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm putting these together is because many commentators say that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are supposed to be one song. And the reason why they say that is because the language that's being used in 42 is the same language that's continued into Psalm 43. As a matter of fact, there's a chorus that's repeated twice in Psalm 42 and then again in Psalm 43. It's the same chorus again. And the chorus is actually where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. The other thing that's really interesting about Psalm 42 and 43 is that it's one of the few psalms that are not written by David. They're one of the few psalms that are not written by David. At the beginning of Psalm 42, it tells us that it's a song of the sons of Korah. And what, what scholars say, they can't really, some of them disagree on, on who it is, but what they know for sure is that the, the, the person who wrote this was a Levite, and he was a musician. He was a worship leader. He was a Levite, and he was a worship leader. And so here in Psalm 42 and 43, we get what I consider the, the, the best description of discouragement that you will find anywhere in the Bible. But here's the thing, the, the psalmist not only does, it, does an amazing job of describing discouragement, but he does an even better job of addressing discouragement. He does an even better job of dealing with discouragement. And so in this passage that we're going to be looking at, Psalm 43, verse 5, Psalm 43, verse 5, the psalmist, he gives us three steps. He gives us a three-step process on how to deal with discouragement in our lives. How to deal, confront, and remove discouragement in our lives. And so I'm going to have those three steps behind us, behind me on the screen. The first step is, he says, you need to examine yourself. You need to examine yourself. And that's found in the first part of verse 5, 5a. You need to examine yourself. The second step you and I need to take if we, if we hope to deal with a discouragement in our lives is we need to convince ourselves. You need to convince yourself. And that's 5b, 5b. And thirdly, the third and final step you and I need to take if we, if we hope to deal with the discouragement in our lives is we need to encourage ourselves. You need to encourage yourself. And that's verse 5c. So we're going to begin with the first step. The first step that the psalmist says we need to take in order to deal with the discouragement that we are going to deal with is we need to examine ourselves. You need to examine yourself. Look, look what the psalmist says here in the first part of verse 5. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast why so disturbed within me why are you downcast why are you disturbed and so the first step that the psalmist takes in order to deal with in order to address his discouragement is he examines himself he examines himself okay 
And then that, that word there where he says downcast, that word downcast, it means to be, to be sunk down. It means to be dwindled down. It means to be crushed. Why are you crushed, oh my soul? Why are you down in the dumps, oh my soul, is what he's asking. And that other, that, other, that other part where he says, why are you disturbed within me? That word disturbed, it means to be in an uproar. It means to groan, to moan. Your soul is, is restless. Why are you restless, oh my soul? And so the first, step, the first step that the psalmist takes in order to address his discouragement is he examines himself. He examines himself, okay? There's a few things about how he examines himself that you and I need to take note of in order for us to examine ourselves correctly as well. The first thing that I want you to see here that I think is so important is that the psalmist, listen to this, he is not surprised about being discouraged. He's not shocked by it. And we know he's not because look at the question that he asks. The questions reveal his expectations. He, he says, why are you downcast? In other words, he's not saying what's happening to me. Why is there, where did this discouragement come from? God, why are you punishing me? Uh, 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 did, I, did I do something wrong? What button am I not pressing? You know, what thing am I not checking off my list? That's not his, that's not his response. His response is, why are you downcast, oh my soul? In other words, the psalmist, he expects to be discouraged. He expects it. He knows it's going to come in. It's going to come in. So when it comes, he's not shocked by it. I think we need to be aware of that because part of the problem with us is that we do not expect, I don't know why, I do this too, but for some reason, you and I are, are, are for sure that we are never going to experience discouragement. And so when discouragement actually happens, we don't know what to do with it. We don't, we, don't know what, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know, we don't know where to go. Where, where is this coming from? We don't know where to go. But the thing is, I don't get why we as Christians are shocked by being discouraged when all throughout Scripture you see people who struggle with discouragement again and again and again. Cain, right before Cain kills Abel, God shows up and says, why are your, is your face cast down? Why are you discouraged? And it's because of his discouragement that he goes on and sins against God. Job, in the book of Job, he struggles with the discouragement. Elijah, he struggles with the discouragement in 1 Kings chapter 19. Jeremiah, he was called the, the prophet of, of, of sorrow. He was always discouraged. All the time. Jeremiah, God literally told Jeremiah, hey, you're going to spend your whole life preaching and no one's going to listen to you. Have fun. <laughs> How discouraging is that? Right? And so, so discouragement is all over the Bible. And here's the other thing. Here's the other reason why we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, uh, shocked when, we, when we're discouraged. Literally, when you and I were non-Christians, we only had one enemy. When you and I, before we came to know Jesus, we only had one enemy, and that enemy was God. He was an enemy who loved you, who wanted to be with you, and who died for you. Now that you and I are Christians, we have three enemies. Satan, the flesh, and the world. All three of, of them hate, all three of them hate us, and all three of them want to destroy us. Why are we shocked about being discouraged? How can we be shocked by that? It should be expected. We are going to be discouraged. And here's the thing. Here's why it's so important for you to understand, for you to know that discouragement is going to happen. This is why this is so important, okay? Because we as Christians, what we are called to do is we are called, this is what God calls us to do, we are called to examine our circumstances through the lens of God's goodness. That's what we are called to do. 
We are called to examine our circumstances through the lens of God's goodness. But here's the thing. When you do not expect to be discouraged, what ends up happening when discouragement blindsides, blindsides you, what you end up doing is you start to examine God's goodness through the lens of your circumstance. That's the danger when you don't expect it. So the first thing that, we, that the psalmist it does here when he, when he questions himself, when he examines himself, is he is not shocked by the fact that he will be discouraged. The other thing that's so important is that he doesn't blame anyone. He doesn't blame anyone. He says, why are you downcast, soul? And then he says, why are you so disturbed within me? He doesn't blame anyone. That's, that's crazy to me. He, 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 he's struggling with discouragement, and automatically he assumes that the problem is him. See, but that, the reason why you and I need to be aware of that, the reason why that's so important for us to take note of, is because that's so anti-American. That's the most anti-American thing about this whole passage. Because he, here's what Americans do. Whenever you and I experience discouragement, we start looking for someone to sue. Right? There's a supervisor to complain to. There's a child to, to ground. There's a spouse to yell at. Right? I got to go get a counselor because maybe there's some old childhood memory that, 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 that is triggering this. Like, I, I, there must be an unlocked memory that I haven't, I haven't talked about, and, and that's why I'm discouraged. Maybe it's what I'm eating. Maybe I'm eating too much gluten. Maybe that's why I'm discouraged. <laughs> I should cut the gluten. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and cut the gluten, and it'll all be fine. See, see, the American response, the American response is to blame others, right? So the American response is, I'm going to look outward for the problem, and then I'm going to look inward for the solution. That's the American response. I'm going to look outward for the problem, and once I determine what that is, then I'm going to look inward. And then what, when you look inward, you encourage yourself, and you talk to yourself about your strengths and what you bring to the table and why you are so awesome and excellent. And, and, and that, 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 that makes you feel better. And all of a sudden, okay, I'm good. I can do it again. But the psalmist is saying, oh, whoa, 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 wait a second. No, no, no. The problem isn't outward. The problem is inward. The world says, look outward for the problem and then go inward for the solution. The Bible says, look inward for the problem and then look outside of yourself for the solution. Radically different. Radically different. And if we don't understand that, we are not going to examine ourselves the way we need to examine ourselves. And then the last thing that he does here that I just, I love, is that when he examines himself, is he, he these, these are not rhetorical questions. Okay? So, so the psalmist here, this isn't a, a, a Shakespearean soliloquy, right? Like he's not just asking questions because it sounds poetic and nice. He, he's actually trying to get to the bottom of why he is discouraged. These questions are not rhetorical. These questions are, are, are he's interrogating his soul. He's grabbing his soul, he's grabbing his soul by the collar, and he is saying, what is wrong with you? What's going on right now? You see, because here's what happens with us. A lot of us, we interrogate other people's souls, but we, we're nice to our soul. It's pity questions. Are you okay, soul? How's everything been? What's, I know they're bad. I know, soul. It's okay, soul. That's not what he's doing here. He is interrogating himself. You see, because the psalmist understands, listen to this, that just because discouragement is an expectation, it doesn't mean it's an excuse. Just because discouragement is expected, 
because we already said it, we should expect it, it's going to happen. Just because discouragement is expected, it does not mean it's an excuse. And that's how you and I should deal with it. Discouragement is going to be a, 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 a guest. He's, the, it's going to be a guest. It's going to come by the house. But just because it's an expected guest doesn't mean it has to become a permanent roommate. He questions himself. That's how we have to question ourselves. We have to grab our soul by the collar and we have to say, so what are you finding your hope in right now that has you so discouraged? What are you finding your security in right now that's smaller than Jesus that has you so discouraged, has you so down in the dumps? What is it, soul? What are you finding your self-worth in, soul? What are you finding your security in, soul? What are you finding your identity in, soul? Because, you, because there's something here, soul, and we have to get to the bottom of it. That's what he does there, and that's what you and I have to do if we ever hope to have any sort of victory over our discouragement. So the first step he takes is he examines himself. The first step you and I need to take is we need to examine ourselves. You need to examine yourself. The second step he takes, and I think this one is, is really important, is not only do you have to examine yourself, but you also must convince yourself. You also must convince yourself. Look at the second half of verse 5. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. So the second thing that the psalmist does in order to deal with his discouragement is he convinces himself. He convinces himself. That word hope there, I love what that word hope in Hebrew means. It means to eagerly wait on someone. It means to eagerly wait, to trust someone with full expectation that they're going to come through. That's what it means to hope in someone. He's convincing himself to hope in God. And then that word praise, in the second part, the word praise literally means to, to, to be thankful, to extol, to, to, to go to God and, and, and praise him for what he's done. So, so the, the second step that the psalmist takes, that you and I need to take, if we ever hope to have any sort of victory over our discouragement, is he convinces himself. Now there's a few things I, wanna, I want you guys to see here. I want to unpack this a little bit. There's a few things that, there's a few implications here for us that we need to be aware of if we are ever going to be successful in convincing ourselves. The first thing here that's so important is that, is that he commands himself. The first implication is that at some point he, 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 he's done questioning and he starts talking. That's the first implication. That, that, that at some point, listen to this, at some point you have to stop counseling your soul and you have to start preaching to your soul. At some point the counseling stops. At some point the pity party stops. And you have to pump the brakes and you have to start speaking to your soul. Now I don't know if you guys know this or not, but your soul is a talker. Okay? Even if you're introverted, your soul is an extrovert. From the moment you wake up, your soul is talking to you, talking to you, talking to you, talking to you. And I can't believe this kid did this. I can't believe my husband did that. And I can't believe my boss did that. And your soul is talking and talking, yapping and yapping and yapping and yapping and yapping. And at some point, at some point, you need to be like, so, so, wait, 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 so, shut up. Please, stop talking. Stop. At some point, it needs to stop. At some point, it needs to stop. Martin Luther, Martin, Martin, not Martin Luther, sorry, Martin, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in, uh, in his book, Spiritual Depression, he says this thing that's just, that's so incredible. He's talking about this passage, and here's what he says. 
He says that when you and I, if all we do is stay in the first step, which is examining yourself, if all you do is stay in the first step and never move on to the second step, which is to preach to yourself, to convince yourself, he says what ends up happening is your interrogation starts to become introspection. Your interrogation starts to become introspection. Introspection is you start to focus so much on yourself, the cameras all zoom in on you, and it ends up leading to more discouragement, not less. In that same book, he also says that part of the reason why Christians are so unhappy, part of the reason why Christians are so discouraged is because they are constantly, uh, uh, they're, they're passively listening to themselves instead of actively speaking to themselves. The reason he says, Lloyd-Jones says that we are discouraged is because we are constantly, uh, uh, we, we, we are passively listening to ourselves instead of actively speaking to ourselves. So at some point, the, the pity party stops and you have to tell your soul to suck it up. You have to start talking to your soul. You have to start talking in your soul. Now the other implication that is so important here about how he convinces himself is that he says, hope in God. Hope in God. That, that, that word hope, what it implies, by him telling himself, himself to hope in God, here's what that implication means. What it means is, is that there was something other than God that his soul was hoping in. See, when you have to tell yourself, listen, when you have to tell yourself to hope in God, what that implies automatically is that your soul was hoping in something else. Okay? And here's what's interesting about the definition of discouragement. The definition of discouragement is literally this. Discouragement is the loss of courage and or hope. That's the definition of discouragement. It is the loss of courage and or hope. So here's what this means. If you and I are discouraged, then that means that we have placed our hope in something smaller than Jesus and that thing has let us down. Because if your hope was in Jesus, you wouldn't be discouraged because he doesn't let you down. But by definition, if discouragement is loss of hope and loss of courage, then what that means is your hope is in something other than Jesus. Something that has let you down. Something that couldn't meet up to your expectation, couldn't meet your standards, and as a result, it's let you down. And the other part of the definition is just as important. He says, so, so he talks about how the definition of discouragement is, it's the loss of hope and the loss of courage. Not just hope, but also courage. I remember when, when I was in college, I went to Northern Illinois University for a couple years. And when I was in college, the frat guys, one of the things they would do is they would call alcohol liquid courage. Alcohol was their liquid courage. Why? Because if you were to meet that guy on a Wednesday in class, he would, he would barely talk. He, he would be looking down and, and, and mumbling and, and wouldn't look you in the eye, but then he gets drunk, and all of a sudden, he's the king of the world. Liquid courage. See, some of us, we don't have liquid courage, but we have financial courage. Some of us, we don't have financial courage, but we have superficial courage. So we look in the mirror, and that gives us courage. Some of us, we have a, a relational courage. So when, we, when we're around people is where we find our courage. When we feel loved, we find our courage. See, if your courage is in anything other than Jesus, you are going to be discouraged, and you are going to be discouraged often. You're going to be discouraged, and you are going to be discouraged often. And the last thing, uh, um, oh no, here's a quote I, I want you guys to, uh, about this. I want, I want to read this quote uh, by John Orberg. Look what, he, look what he says about the soul. He says, the soul seeks God with its whole being because it is desperate to be whole. The soul is God smitten and God crazy and God obsessed. My mind may be obsessed with idols. My will may be enslaved to habits, 
My body may be consumed with appetites, but my soul will, will never find rest until it rests in God. The reason why you're discouraged is because you are finding your hope in something other than God. So in a weird way, discouragement is a good thing. Discouragement is actually encouraging because it's your daily reminder that you're finding your hope in something other than God. It's your daily reminder. He talks about in verse 1 that he is like a deer panting for water. It's your daily reminder that you are drinking from a puddle instead of the stream. So in the weirdest way possible, discouragement is actually encouraging because it reminds us that we are worshiping something other than God. We are placing our hope and our courage in something smaller than Jesus. And then the last implication I, wanna, I want you to see here about how he convinces himself is he says, for I will yet praise him. For I will yet praise him. That phrase in the Hebrew, I will yet, what it means in the Hebrew, it, it, it literally means to do something repeatedly, to do something continually. In other words, the psalmist understands that this process that he's going through, he's going to have to go through it again and again and again and again. It doesn't happen once. In other words, if you take the three steps that I just gave you and you apply it, let's say Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, by Tuesday at noon, you're going to have to apply it again. Why? Because your soul is always going to be tempted to find its hope in something else. And when it does that, you will be discouraged all over again, and you're going to have to repeat the process all over again. And so I love that even in the Hebrew, he, he implies that it's going to have to be something that you do again and again, again and again. It never stops because our soul never stops worshiping things smaller than Jesus. One of the things that I, I wasn't joking at the beginning, I really for a long time struggled with discouragement. I still do in a lot of ways. What was so interesting, though, is that my discouragement didn't actually start until I became a Christian. Before I became a Christian, I, I grew up, I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. And, and, and before I became a Christian, I had no discouragement at all. There was nothing to be discouraged about. But after I became a Christian, Satan started showing up, and he would bring up my past, and he would bring up the things that I would do, and he would attack me, and he would come after me. And it, and it was this constant process of me, and this is what I would do. Whenever the discouragement would come, well, so let's say I was watching a movie or in the middle of a conversation or, or whatever, and the thoughts would come, I would have to go do something to, to, to block the thoughts out. I would try to ignore them. I would try to ignore them. I, I would listen to music. I would go on a run. I would, I, would, I would do whatever I could to get those thoughts out of my mind. But once I understood this passage— that all discouragement was, was that I was finding my hope in something other than God. Now, when Satan shows up and discourages me, instead of ignoring him, instead of running away from him, instead of avoiding him, I embrace him and I say, Satan, oh man, thank you for reminding me again that I am a nobody, that I am a sinner, and that I'm finding my hope in something other than Jesus. I convince myself. Instead of allowing it, instead of torturing myself, I allow what he's doing to then convince myself that my hope is in God and not in myself. That's why we need to respond that way. So the first step we need to take is we need to examine ourselves. The second step we need to take is we need to convince ourselves. And then lastly, the third and final step we need to take is we need to encourage ourselves. You need to encourage yourself. Look, look, how, he, look how he talks to himself at the end. Look how he finishes this. This is amazing. He calls God, he says to God, my Savior and my God. My Savior and my God. Now, what I love about what, I love about what he does here, if, if you look at the steps, if you look at the three steps we've been taking, the further we go down the steps, the less it becomes about us. Have you noticed that? 
The further we move down the steps on dealing with discouragement, the less they become about us. And the thing I love about this last step, too, is that the first two steps are reactive. They are reactive steps. Why? Because you only try to uh, examine yourself and convince yourself once you are experiencing discouragement. But this final step is not reactive. It's proactive. It's proactive. See, the, the first two steps, they deal with the, with the fruit, with the fruit of discouragement. This one, it kills it at the root. This third and final step kills discouragement at the root. So this psalmist here, the last step he takes that you and I need to take is he encourages himself. He says to himself, he says to his soul that God is his savior and his God. That word savior, that word savior, what it means is it means deliverance. It means salvation. It means sufficiency. God is my deliverance. God is my sufficiency. God is my, 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 my savior. Because that's what he's saying to himself. That's actually the most encouraging thing that he could have told himself. And it's actually the most encouraging thing that you and I can tell ourselves. Reminding yourself that you are not your God and that you are not your Savior is the most encouraging thing you could remind yourself of every single morning when you wake up. See, he's looking forward. He's looking forward to a Savior that's going to, his God who's his current Savior, but who's ultimately going to be a Savior in Jesus. See, so, so what that means is, if he has reason to be encouraged, then you and I have even more reason to be encouraged. Because he's looking forward to a Savior that he's never seen before. You and I are looking back on a Savior that we have seen, right? We're looking back on a Savior that we have seen. That's, that's the most encouraging thing. That's the most incredible part of this. See, the most encouraging thing about this psalm is that this psalm does not point to you. This psalm isn't fulfilled in you or in me. It doesn't point to us. This psalm isn't even about the psalmist. This, this psalm points us to someone else, to someone greater. See, because in the psalm, the, the, the psalmist, he feels forgotten. But this other person was forgotten. See, in, in the psalm, this psalmist, he feels forsaken. This other person was forsaken. See, the psalmist, he feels abandoned by his friends. This other person was abandoned by his friends. The psalmist feels mocked by his enemies. This person was mocked by his enemies. The psalmist in verse 1 says he thirsts for God. This person felt actual thirst. The psalmist feels crushed by God. This person actually was crushed by God. See, this psalm isn't about the psalmist. And this psalm sure as heck isn't about us either. This psalm points us to Jesus. And that is the most encouraging thing that I can tell you this morning. That is the most encouraging thing you could remind your soul of this morning. Because the gospel, what Jesus did for you on the cross, is the most encouraging message that you can repeat to your soul again and again and again. And he, here's what's amazing about this. In John chapter 12, in John chapter 12, Jesus, he is talking to his disciples. And look what he says. He says to them in verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled. Now my soul is troubled. And here's what's amazing about that word there, troubled. Here's what's incredible about that. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, Okay. But a few thousand years after the, the, the Old Testament was written, the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. 
And the Greek version of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint, okay? The Greek version of the Old Testament, when it comes to this part, to this verse that we are looking at, where it says, why are you so disturbed within me? Where right there in verse 5, where it says, why are you so disturbed within me? The same Greek word that the psalmist uses to describe himself is the same Greek word that Jesus uses in John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus says to, he says about his soul, my soul is now troubled. Now my soul is troubled. So Jesus is actually taking the first step, right? The first step is to examine yourself. So he examines himself, so you would think that the next step is to then convince himself and then to encourage himself. But Jesus doesn't do that. The psalmist does that, but Jesus doesn't do that. Look how Jesus, look what Jesus says here. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So Jesus, he examines his soul. He realizes that he's troubled just like the psalmist. But unlike the psalmist, God doesn't deliver him. God doesn't help him. God is not his savior. God is not his God. God is his enemy. God abandons him. God turns his back on him. That's incredible. The one person who deserved to be encouraged by God is not encouraged by God. Why? Why, why does that happen? Well, well, here's why. The reason why God, listen to this, the reason why God treats Jesus the way he does. So God, in Jesus, in his most, his most difficult, most discouraging hour, God treated Jesus like us so that in our most discouraging hour, God could treat us like Jesus. That's why he did it. If that doesn't encourage you, if that doesn't encourage you, if that doesn't lift your soul, if that doesn't transform you, then you don't have a pulse. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's why this is the pro this is why this is the most important step of all three. Because it's really not a step at all. It's a reminder that the ultimate step has already been taken. This third step really isn't a step. It's a reminder that Jesus already took the step on your behalf. That's the gospel. We need to take that gospel, and we need to encourage ourselves with that gospel every single day, every single morning. We need to preach it to our soul again and again. We need to go there. We need to stay there. We need to chew on it. We need to meditate on it. We need to drink from it until, until our heart is melted and our soul is totally satisfied. So the gospel, it is because of the gospel, it is because of the glorious, most encouraging message of all time gospel that the next time you and I are discouraged, we can look at our soul and we can say to our soul, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that even though discouragement is expected, because of the gospel, discouragement is no longer an excuse. It's expected, but it's not an excuse. Not when we understand the gospel and not when we understand what you did for us. Jesus, we thank you that in your moment of, of your soul being troubled, God turned his back on you so that when our soul is troubled, God can embrace and be our father. Thank you for your sacrifice and thank you that there's nothing more encouraging than the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen.